Someone else has already said it best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 Welcome to Best of the Best Podcast with myself, Mr. Connor Keyes, alongside me for one final waltz, Mr. Ronan <laughs> Emmett Mullins. Is it? Are we over? Well, I just thought we'd, we'd, we'd fire that in there just to leave a wee bit of ambiguity. You know? some handling me and you waltzing? <laughs> quite a big dance floor and oh, oh. a few paramedics on standby. <laughs> uh, <coughs> yes, we are here today with uh, the last waltz, the uh, known as, by a lot of people, as the... Probably the greatest, uh, the greatest rock concert documentary ever recorded. Yeah, it's really highly lauded. Even just in standard documentaries alone, not even just musical ones, it's considered as one of the the tippy taps. And it's, uh, I mean, nineteen seventy eight. Recorded in 1976 mm-hmm. um, Took a long time producing A lot of overdubs, a lot of recording As we see in the film, there's The Wit and Evangeline are filmed on a sound stage Because they mm. just wanted to get them Good, yeah, to get them right yeah. get them right. And possibly a lot of songs Deliberately weren't filmed Or They didn't get it They didn't get it, <laughs> yeah, and it I don't mean they didn't understand it I no, mean they literally didn't get literally it didn't get it. Cameras messed up and things we, like that we'll, uh, we'll discuss a few of them in a, in a bit But uh, yeah, it's it's highly regarded because of not only the in-between patter between the band and Scorsese and the band amongst themselves, but also how it's shot for a documentary. It's quite unique. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've got some of the key com- uh, the key members of uh, the band. Mm. Uh, let's talk about the band. I mean, mm. known as the band, they were going to be called the Crackers. At the one Crackers point. and the Honkies. The Honkies, <laughs> and uh, they were they were. They were the Hawks, Ronnie Hawkins, the yeah. Hawks. They were the band, the Hawks. Yeah. But then uh, when they left, they were going to be Levon and the Hawks because Levon was the central <laughs> guy. And then they were just going to be... Levon Helm. Levon Helm. They were going to be the Hawks, forgetting that they just came from a band called the Hawks. <laughs> I think there was a lot of confusion. And there might have been a lot of narcotics. A lot of narcotics. Uh, so, yes, they they were known, apparently, uh, around the area just as the band because they were the boys who played along with Dylan. Yeah, well, um, even even when Bob Dylan took them to the Big Pink, the studio where they recorded their debut album and where they practiced and whatever, even their friends were just referring to them as a group, as the band. Like, yeah. As the, the band in there? The, the band's there, they're, yeah. And that was their... They and met Bob Dylan after being in the Hawks and clearly you would just take up Bob Dylan's offer of going on tour with him. Absolutely. And we've discussed this on our Blood and the Tracks episode where it was notorious getting booed every night. But mm-hmm. they say that that, getting booed every night and learning how to just overcome it, along with 
Ronnie Hawkins being the hardest edged mm. band leader where he made them practice every night after playing, like right. for hours, no matter what, turned them into the band they were. Yeah, and they are the band. The band. <laughs> I yeah. really are. Um, music, music wise and uh, technicality and skill wise, I mean, they're shit hot. Really unbelievable. Mm. Every 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 element of them. Absolutely. And so you're talking the the the, the other sort of. Probably the most famous that came out of them then was Robbie Robertson. Mm-hmm. Now, the rest of the band might argue with that. The rest <laughs> he of wouldn't. Them, he wouldn't. <laughs> but uh, Robbie got a lot of shit, mm. rightfully so, but a lot of it unwarranted. Um, yeah. He is the sort of, well, he's the primary songwriter yeah. and lyricist. So the proof's in the pudding with the songwriting. Yeah. But a lot of the arguments about the band stem around he took sole songwriting credit on a lot of stuff that the band say they were heavily involved in. Yeah. But they didn't write it. And they also, there's a lot of talk of when they played live that sometimes his mic was turned off for, well, for harmony or backing we, vocals. We will, we will discuss that later, but it has been strongly confirmed by sound engineers <laughs> that Robbie Robertson didn't sing. And... Um, but he, I've heard him, and he can sing. He, he can, can sing, sing beautifully. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, there's no issue there. It's but the live thing might be. A I I just think his harmonies didn't sink in with uh, Manuel Danko's and Levon yeah. Helms. The band are Robbie Robertson, mm-hmm. Levon Helm, Scott Danko, Richard Manuel, and Garth Hudson. Yes, and that's the original. Yeah, that's band. the original. Yeah, and the uh, I mean they, they obviously were going for quite a while mm-hmm. um, under the Hawks or whatever. But when they came about with this this was sort of their their her last hurrah the last waltz the Absolutely. time for them to to an end of an era is what they were calling it mm-hmm. i don't really know if they ever defined what the era was well it's the woodstock generation yes i was going to say it's the sort of tail end yeah. of the, the the fire that was left by woodstock mm-hmm. and you know you've got uh, we'll come to the, the 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 many artists that appear on this because sort of <laughs> the rock and roll hall of fame induction that levon helm didn't turn up to um robert robertson actually says a funny story where you know the area woodstock since poughkeepsie yeah. And the Poughkeepsie generation just really wouldn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. And that's where Very Big true. Pink was, where they lived. They lived in that area yeah. where they were writing, recording. Bob Dylan's infamous basement tapes, the band or the band backing them. You know, it's all done there. And it's sort of, that whole era is special. But I think it's more special because of them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And they wanted then, I suppose, to find a way to, to capture that end. And mm. so... We Marty was called upon. Andrew Scorsese, like of all the fucking of boys to turn people, up. all um, who first, and I don't think has done since, a musical. He, he has. He, he done a Rolling the, Stones one. He's oh, done the Rolling one Stones. He did the, George that's Harrison. Right, that's right. Oh, was it George Harrison one? Uh, he did that. Uh, he's done Bob Dylan's ones as well. Oh, there you are. Mm-hmm. Sure, I didn't even know that. I uh, knew so, about but this the, is his sto- first. Is the Stones one the Fremont one? No. Or the no, 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 no. It's the most recent, more recent one. More oh yes, yes, yes. Yep. Okay, um, so it's so done very similar to this. To be fair, backstage yeah. sort of talking, then clips in between. And but he first out, first go, he, he nailed it. Like absolutely. And I mean, uh, I don't think anybody could has to argue or debate the talents of Martin Scorsese in no. regards to um, vision and and, uh, and and foresight. Uh, but we have a clip here of him sort of uh, being asked about how this came about. Him and Robbie Robertson on a chat show. Yep. And uh, Jonathan Taplin, who produced Mean Streets, uh, 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 introduced Robbie to me and uh, said uh, there's going to be a lot of people at the concert. And uh, the band, I felt, was that important to, uh, as a group uh, and a figure in music uh, to uh, record their last uh, concert. And I figured at least it would be a reportage, you know. 
if anything. Mm -hmm. And then when we saw the results, we, we decided to shoot it in 35 millimeter. And I placed the camera in like, seven 35 millimeter cameras. In certain seven? Positions. Yeah, seven. And, and uh, we had a lot of guest uh, operators like Laszlo Kovacs, Vilma Sigmund, people like that who came in for one day for the concert. And uh, uh, Bobby Byrne and people who are now DPs, uh, directors of photography. And we saw that some, somehow the, the 35 millimeter brought out the expressions of the, uh, of the band, the, the people on the stage, and decided not to shoot audience either. Because we've seen so many concert films where you see audience, no audience. Mm -hmm. We do see the audience in their, their point of view, from Robbie's point of view, or from behind, or whatever, that sort of thing. And, and that, that so was very true. I mean, that yeah. was one of the key things that stood out about that yeah. whole clip was the audience um, doesn't play a major role in this. No. They, they, they normally, they, they provide the audio. That's it. And that's it. And that's the, the, the atmosphere that you need for it. But, I mean, it is a brave move. Um, if you talk about the technical end of things, going from 16 millimeter, which is what originally Robbie Robertson wanted. Yeah, just to, a home video. Just a home video thing. Yeah. But to go to 35 millimeter and become then cinema, basically. Yeah, it's, it's cinematic. Uh, piece, but I mean, seven cameras. And the, the, again, people are now going, oh, there's seven cameras. Now. But think of the technology that's needed. The size of these cameras. Yeah, and the size of them, and then the syncing up of the audio with them and all yep. that sort of stuff. It's and serious this, work. this entire concert was not only played in its fullest with songs and performances that were never filmed, but they had a setup of who was coming on next, what was to be filmed next, uh, what wasn't to be filmed so they could let the cameras cool down and change over the film. That's it, cool down. Like yeah, the thing, right, yeah. it wasn't digital, you couldn't just let and it run. Had, the weird thing was, because this was, this, sorry, if you, if you haven't seen The Last Waltz, obviously go and watch it, and we're not going to give any spoilers when anything. No. Um, it's a documentary, but I mean, you, you'll you'll know that there's a, there's a kind of, what would you call it? A, 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 an urgency around it. Um, it's It's very... It's very free flowing in that sense, yeah. but yet very organized, which is a weird setup. I mean, the the, the seven cameras I think This this is one concert. So if you haven't seen Last Wal Last Waltz, it's one concert, which was to be as we said the farewell. Mm -hmm. um, it started at five o'clock in the evening with yeah. a load of poetry and readings and different poems coming had, forward before the band actually even got to the stage. It was like four hours of material was being filmed. The audience. We're fed turkey dinners because it was Thanksgiving. See, yeah, it was Thanksgiving Day. Oh, was it today Thanksgiving? Right? Did you know where it was filmed? Uh, is it something with your man Graham? Bill Graham's the Winterland Ballroom. Ah, uh, yes. Do you yes. remember where we've heard that before? Mm. The last show the Sex Pistols played was in the Winterland Ballroom. No way! Don't you look at three that? months before this film was released. Right. So in that two-year period, the world had musically everything had shifted. Yeah. And the band sort of went out at the right time, if you If you think of it that way, yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was a nice farewell to them in that sense. But Bill Graham, who ran the Winterland, who was a notorious music promoter in America mm -hmm. and the West Coast, he organised and paid for the turkey dinners and there was like 4,000 gallons of fucking all these different things that were brought in. But the, then there was a waltz. There was a full uh, orchestral performance on the floor where the stage was being set up. Oh. So people were all waltzing and all like 5,000 people. So this whole party was going on before anybody had a note on the stage. Mm -hmm. Now, the whole thing was set designed by Boris Levin, who was the guy behind Sound Music and Gone With The Wind. Yeah, Scorsese, brought, he just mentioned a few of them there. He I did. Mean, and he there's brought a, in some serious oh, big time. talent there. Like, but yeah. the, the chandeliers that you see yeah. are, are from Gone With The Wind. Oh, they're not, are They're they? from the oh. interior of the house. There you so go. So Michael Chapman, 
He mentions Vilma Sigmund. Vilma Sigmund did... Yeah, he did the... Deer Hunter Deliverance, Close Encounters. Yes. The, the, the director of photography. And Laszlo Kovacs did Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces. Easy Rider, that's right. He was But Lazlo. the guy, the main cinematographer is Michael Chapman. Michael Chapman did most of Scorsese's early stuff, so he did Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. But he was also the camera writer on The Godfather and Ooh. Jaws. <laughs> right. So... That's what I'm saying. I mean, there's some like, skill there. Here, yeah, like. yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I assume that's a mixture of fans and friends of Scorsese as well who are helping out, but fans of the band more, more oh, than Oh, absolutely. I, I think he was just calling in the best of the best just to help. But Laszlo was on New York, New York with him. Scorsese sort of lies here saying that he's finished New York, New York. He hadn't. He was in the middle of filming it and he didn't right, want right. to tell the studio that he's working on two films at the same time <laughs> for two different production companies. So... But what happens here is this is filmed, like you say, seven cameras. They have to dig up some of the floor to put the cameras in, to yeah, sort of are, to like mount them and get them right. To people how size, uh, big these cameras are, and it's they're they've never not it's never Panavision can't tell them if this has ever been done before. Can we let the cameras just roll? And they find out about an hour in, they can't. <laughs> yeah. Film is burning. Mm-hmm. The cameras are just stopping, ceasing to operate. They have to take them outside to cool them down, but it's San Francisco, yeah. and it's it is November, yes, but it's still warm. It's still warm, so nothing's cooling down, and they have to still keep everything on track because they can't just stop the concert; it has to keep flowing. So filming this was a technical oh nightmare nightmare. I, I did see there was uh, somewhere uh, mentioned that there was there was one song in particular that all six went down, <laughs> all six went and there's down. just one angle left, that's it, there's no cutting anywhere else, because they couldn't, they had to I'm, wait to get I'm it thinking up and going again. The, the likes of, because they did play Evangeline, Yes, it wasn't with Emmy Lou Harris, but it, the band played Evangeline themselves, because mm-hmm. it was a brand new song that was written for The Last Waltz, mm-hmm. um, and that wasn't filmed, No, and The Wait wasn't filmed. Yeah, they didn't film The Wait, no. which is probably, I would say, the biggest, biggest, it was the biggest, biggest hit, uh, so I mean, yeah. So this is what happened. You you then had a, a soundstage set up many days after mm-hmm. the, the 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 actual gig, and then, as you said earlier on, a sort of a, a chance to get a clean version of it out. Yeah, um, yeah. That's more polished and more workable. But, but I prefer it. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I do like. I love the soundstage one. I have uh, to say for the weight in a way because they bring in the Staples uh, singers, which yeah. is. Unreal. Because I didn't know Bob Dylan was having an affair with Mavis Staples. I did not know that. He was having an affair with Mavis Staples during this whole thing. 76. Bobby D. I know, he couldn't stop himself. He was not stopping. <laughs> Play that tambourine, man. Play that tambourine, boy. Uh, so, I mean, you've got, you've, you've got a multitude of cracking hits in this. Oh, uh, uh, so, because you can't talk about the film or the movie without talking about the soundtrack. Yeah. And even for us, on Best of the Best, what are we talking about today? Are we talking about the film or are we talking about the soundtrack? Well, I was thinking about <laughs> yeah, I was brushing my teeth going, is this the album? Yeah. Is this the documentary? Is this a movie? Are we talking about the band? Are we talking about Scorsese? What are we talking about? This covers it's, a lot of the uh, bases. Yeah, it's everything. I mean, it, it fits in so well with what we're doing, but uh, I think we're it's, it's our first maybe uh, combination, our first combo. I think maybe this is why it's taken us too long. We will say this has been on the list from day one. From the very start, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's just because it, um, both of them are, the, 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 the film and soundtrack are both standalone masterpieces on their, by themselves. Oh, absolutely. And and that's why it's hard to distinguish which one is your Before we get into the performances, what was your first memory of this? Do you know? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here we go. 
on a Jesus. It's almost like we discussed this prior. It's no, we didn't. Actually. We didn't. I didn't tell <laughs> you. Really this. Didn't. I, I didn't tell you this, but so there is a random, as always, Keys's tedious links to how he finds out about things. Mm-hmm. So my first finding out about the band was to, well, first things finding out about the wit, the song called mm-hmm. the wit was a compilation tape I stole from my uncle. As you'll notice in this podcast, I stole a lot from my uncles. And it was Aretha Franklin's version of yes. The Wit, which is fucking ah, amazing. Good. So that was my first introduction to that music at all. Yeah. To, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about it. But I still didn't know anything about the band mm-hmm. because i just seen it was Aretha Franklin. Yeah. But then, a TV show in England. <laughs> I know where you're going. Absolutely fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Wheels on fire. Wheels on fire. Yeah, and that I just thought this this uh, theme, weird seventies. No, this theme music for oh, absolutely you thought fabulous. It was I before? thought it was the absolutely fabulous theme music. Fair enough. And somewhere then, a couple of years later, I hear on the radio the song. I was like, oh, that's the theme tune to. Absolute. Is that actually a real song? And then leads you down again. This pre-internet and all the rest. Mm-hmm. So no shazamin. Uh, <laughs> leads you down a path and going, oh, who's this? And then a very random last thing was I got an album, again stolen. A blues album, which was a compilation thing, and on it was a song called Somewhere Down the Crazy River. Okay. By Robbie Robertson. And that's when I looked and going, who the fuck's Robbie Robertson? Because this guy is cool as fuck. Uh-huh. And that led me to the band. So I end up, in, first time maybe watching The Last Waltz was about, I was about 15 or 16. Yep. Really into the music phase at that stage and really into just uh, performances and watching live music. Um mainly because I couldn't do it and <laughs> I wanted to watch people who could do it. Um, so, yeah, that was my first. Um, really, like, I mean, I wouldn't, definitely would not say I was a fan of the band. You know, it wasn't a diehard thing that was like going. No, no but this either. piece of um, film I, I watched over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about some of the sort of the guest stars on it, if you want to call that, yeah. but their, their guest um, performances. I don't know where the list starts with. I mean, you've got um, Joni Mitchell's in there. You've obviously Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. Neil um, Young, Neil Young, Muddy Waters, John, Doctor John, um, Paul Butterfield, Eric Clapton, Clapton Ronnie Wood, Ronnie Ringo Wood. Starr appears all of a sudden. Our very own, our very own um, uh, Van the Man is on. We'll talk about him later on. Um, but yeah, so the the list of of I mean that that should attract you to the thing. Alone, mm-hmm. as a regardless of what you know, the background to it, just that list of people. <laughs> well, the, with the concert itself, the band played like twelve songs, mm. and then they started bringing people out, so people didn't know this was happening. Yeah, you so can imagine the clue, the clue. You have twelve songs in, and all of a sudden, like one after the other, because I, I don't, I think it was something like they kicked off at nine o'clock or something, mm-hmm. and at half one, <laughs> they were coming out for the last sort of. Well, they, song they, they, they finished and then the promoter went, you can't leave it like that. Your last song can't be with a group of people. It has to be you playing the... And then they came back out and the, this first song you hear on this documentary is the last song they ever play together as the band and to don't do it. Yeah, that's they were, that was their way out uh-huh. sort of thing, yeah, which they started off with. And then, so that's, if you're watching the film, you, you start with the end and yeah. then you circle back the whole way through. Yeah. Now, the film itself is a lot of, I mean, it, it, it's, it gives you an insight into the time and... You can even sense in some of the interviews that people are a wee bit lost. Maybe it is the sort of the the sort of uh, the raising of the punk sort of movement, and they don't really know where they fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, but this stage, obviously, Dylan had been well electriced, mm-hmm. electriced up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still was like a, the, the the Woodstock thing was sort of 
going to die out a bit. So you can nearly almost hear that they know this is the end. Yeah. Not just for the band, but even yeah. the likes of Johnny Mitchell or anyone's been talked about. It's sort of, it's that sort of like, uh, a wee bit sort of, I'm sad about this. It's great we're coming together, but, you know, ultimately this is the end of, a, of an era. And uh, to have it all on film. Well, that's, just, that's, that's well, all Robertson. <laughs> most of it on film. Yeah, they didn't, like, the rest of the band weren't that fussed. Yeah, about this being a documentary or a film concert, they didn't know what was going to come out of it. Nobody knew it was going to come out of this. And I think then, it, um, from reading, it, it seemed to that um, it seemed to cause some animosity between them, um, especially yeah. because Scorsese. It seemed that Scorsese and and Robert E. Robertson had a bit of a friendship almost. So well, they ended up. He ended up moving in with Scorsese. They were they shared an apartment yeah, together. Quite and a they, friendship. <laughs> Robert Robertson would edit and help. You know realign sound and, and yeah. you know do overdubs and certain things and get everything but we'll get to that yeah there's a lot to talk a bit <laughs> about that what what have we got musically well i mean we had um uh we've got a clip here of well one of the best is maybe the introduction of our very own doctor the in-house doctor dr john this is the first my introduction to this film was because of scorsese so I was getting a big Scorsese head, and I See, remember, I didn't, I didn't I remember watching that. Cape Fear and me dad saying, he did that document, that one with the band and all. And I was going, what are you talking about, man? It's Scorsese, he's our Hitchcock, man. What are you on about? He doesn't do music, man. And then I was like, oh, fuck, he's right. He's totally right. So I got back to this. I think a friend of mine had a video of it or something along them lines, but I remember just being like, every song is gold. like Yeah. And yeah. I've, I only ever had heard the wit. I hadn't heard anything else. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, yeah. sort of like, where the fuck has this stuff been? How, how, <laughs> yeah. not, how do I not know this? And then, of course, when I got the long form album, I realized I'd heard Wheels on Fire on Absolutely Fabulous. Yes. Like yourself. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was just blown away. But it was the first time I'd ever heard Dr. John. Yeah. And it's, and when you, it's, it's like in a 24 song set list, it's got to be in your top three. Like, it, I mean, I think I think he's top five best voices in the world. Oh, absolutely! Even that, just speaking, just voice? speaking, yeah, oh, just right. talking is unreal. But his singing voice is so unique; you can um, spot him at any track, yep. no matter where it's been played. Um, but here is his introduction, and uh, you pointed out to me about the his counting. His counting is brilliant. This is like a jazz counting. You know them awkward fuckers that do everything the wrong way around. Listen to this. You all know the doctor, Doctor John Mac Revenac. Thankfulness to the band and all the fellas. Two, three, four, one. Such a night. Such a night. Sweet confusion. Give me some uh, McDonald's and fries. <laughs> yeah, man, get some ketchup with that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Creole, Dr. John, Creole. I swear to God. It I just runs through his veins. Love like. Two, three, four, one. Two, <laughs> e, four, one. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I had a fell over. Did he say one? Did he say one at the start? Oh, there's one. <laughs> You're picking up sticks. No, oh, fuck fuck sticks uh, yeah, so, I mean... Dr. John, obviously, we we love Dr. John. I mean, and, and and again, it was one of those things where he's one of the best at what he does as well. Mm -hmm. You talk about sort of New Orleans sort of um, Creole, as you say, that's that vibe. Um, mm -hmm. 
And every act that they, they brought out just kept getting was better. at the peak. Of oh, what, yes, absolutely. Like they were fucking the best of their absolutely. genre. Or, their, you know. or rising stars like Neil Young, who were just That's right, Young was only just getting up at mm-hmm. that point. He wasn't really, yeah. So, I mean, they, they had the finger on the pulse. Um, uh, but to pull all that in, like mm. to have the wit, so to speak, mm. to pull all those names in and well, you're still you, the shining star of it. It must... For me, and this is a this is a conspiracy theory. Uh, no, you don't call them. Then what do we call them? <laughs> An alternative thought. Uh, but they're, I mean, I assume they got a reputation. Oh, um, you know they've had a, they had a reputation, but not only a reputation, but they must have had a. The only way I would describe it is a partying mode. You know, they must but for them guys. Because let's be honest, what that is is ultimately, do you want to come and hang out with some friends? They're not looking at us yeah. like we're going to go and film a cinema release. Mm-hmm. Well, Dylan did. We'll talk about Dylan's fight about fucking yeah, yeah. being recorded. But the rest of them were sort of, you know, the band have asked us to come. We're going to come. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, if any other group had asked to get, I don't know if you'd get that, you know. No, I so don't I don't know so. if that is a, it's a, it's a respect thing mm-hmm. when it comes to the band where you've got Clapton and Dylan and Johnny Mitchell all, all coming together. Um, I don't think of any other time they did it outside of a charity thing or something. You know, no other no. band had that, as you say, the weight of it, but nobody else had that pull to be able to get them in, and that had to be under respect. Well, the, the beauty of this was, again, Winterland San Francisco, there because it was the first place they ever played as the band. Right, yeah. Okay. So they decided to go back to that, and they played it numerous times in between, mm-hmm. but they decided to finish there. But it's handier that it's on the West Coast, because yeah. a lot of these people live yes, in, in California, yeah. like, mm-hmm. so... But that doesn't take away anything from the quality that lands at this event. And as you said, there was a lot of narcotics. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of, white powder. The, the, the Neil Young. It has been yes, stated. That's right. Martin Scorsese said it's the most expensive line of cocaine that was ever sniffed. Because Neil Young walks out. Just want to say this is the greatest moment of my musical life. And he's off as fucking nut. So much that they have to go to the editing suite afterwards, pay for it themselves to edit out a huge rock of cocaine yeah, that is the, sitting in his snooter. On his nose, yeah. Um, <laughs> that is there the whole way through his performance. Every time they zoomed in on him, Neil would look up with a big Canadian head in him and there'd be a big rock of fucking cocaine <laughs> in his nostril. So, could you imagine? And what that's, the, that's like, but could you that's imagine? Like two hours in and he's just been snorting flat to the ball. Well, I was just going to say, can you imagine what the whole, at least the band were playing? They were playing. And you said 12 songs, 12 songs a long time when you're backstage doing them. But then, they, that's the songs they've been playing for fucking eight, yeah. ten years. Then they got to go into songs that they've just learned a week ago. <laughs> 20 of them that are other people's songs that they don't know yet. And they nailed them. Every one of them. Oh, At perfect. this point, Richard but Manuel. Not, but they're not backstage partying because this is one no, night. No, 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 this no, is no. the this thing. Is one this night. is one night. So, I mean, you imagine the state the fucking Dylan and Clapton all getting <laughs> in the background. Like. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Clapton. The guitar strap breaks off. That's and he right. catches her in the one hand and then Robbie Robertson goes into this half hour solo like now Clapton go, fill in. fuck up Robbie like, come on <laughs> just let me put the strap back on it's <laughs> only I broke a strap <laughs> but it's you can tell that everybody like Joni Mitchell's standing behind the stage singing during Neil Young's one and they sort of half ass film it with a handheld camera and yeah that was, was uh, I like that about about the, the, the planning of it yeah because there was that still that showmanship of it but that, the reason that people go, oh, it's just half, and you're no, because they didn't want to show Johnny Mitchell yet until, because yeah. she was after. But you imagine young. being in the audience and and maybe you've 
partaking in a few narcotics as well. Schnifters. And you hear this voice, you're going, is that Joni Mitchell? And they're yeah. like, would you fuck? Shut up. She's hardly fucking standing in the back. She can't hear too. <laughs> She's hardly standing on the wings on the side. I know. Fucking they just bring her out. <laughs> it was her was standing her. there. <laughs> Songbird in the way over the top of Neil. But that sound was great. Unreal. Absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I wonder, like, did anybody genuinely at the time go, that sounds not like Joni because her voice is so distinctive, it could have it been. Does, it does. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've got then. I mean, we talked about um, the Vaughn, yeah. the Vaughn Helm, and MVP for me, like yeah. I mean, he's he, he's definitely while Robbie purposely tries to take the spotlight, um, the Vaughn takes it just naturally. It's, <laughs> it's just uh, sort of uh, the, the coolness of him, I guess. I mean, it's very hard. Again, Woodstock '94 mm-hmm. was when I'd seen the band play. Live, the older iteration of the band with no Robbie Robertson, obviously. Yeah, and it's Levon singing the weight, mm-hmm. um, playing drums, and I was going, okay, first off, singing drummer, weird. Yeah, don't know what this is about. And then only the Eagles can do that. And then there's another drummer playing on the stage. So again, that was my sort of introduction to Levon, but I didn't. I've never seen interviews with him, and I never seen. Yeah. But then when you watch this and Robbie sort of all his rehearsed lines, and then you hear Levon talk, <laughs> and he's just cool as Christmas, like. Near Memphis, uh, cotton country, rice country. Uh, What's it the most interesting thing is uh, probably the music. Levon, who, uh, who came from around there? Carl Perkins. Carl Perkins, sure. Uh, Muddy Waters, king of country music. Yeah. Elvis Presley. Uh-huh. Johnny Cash. Bo Diddley. That's kind of the middle of the country, you know, right there, so... Bluegrass or uh, country music, you know, if it comes down to that area yeah. and if it mixes there with rhythm and if it dances, yeah. then you've got a combination of all those different kinds of uh, music. Country, bluegrass, uh, blues music. The melting pot. Show music. And what's it called then? Rock and roll. Rock and roll, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> there's a video here, and you're jumping. The eggs, we were dancing. Oh, he's dancing up there now. There's a video here just called Leave on Helm is Cool. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Like. No, but if you, if you know anything about the band, you know that Leave on Helm has been the single, solitary, constant figure. Yeah. And it's this type of performance that notoriously would go off the reels. But he is shit hot from minute one. Yeah, till the bitter end, and oh, he yeah. never cools. Like no, he is flat out. He's playing the mandolin at points when there's no drums. <laughs> he's singing. He's drumming. He's orchestrating the rest of the boys. Even though Robert Robertson makes it look like he's orchestrating yeah, everything, he definitely it's does. Leave on the fucking does orchestrating a great job of doing that, doesn't he? But or, uh, this sort of all culminates in what Robert Robertson, to, to his credit, has said: the best performance they've ever had of this particular song is this night. Mm-hmm. So it's, he says, "Leave on never sounded better," and They've never played it as fluid. And this is probably, it's definitely not, it's probably what, top five best known tracks uh, of the band. I'll say it's up there it's, with it's the, the one Wheels and Fire. But from this concert, yeah. this is the song everybody yeah, absolutely. remembers. And the, like. the quality was unreal. Like, yeah. A Virgil Kane is the name, and I served on the Danville train. To Stone Rush Cavalry came, and they tore up the track. Singing and drumming. Oh, boys. In the winter of 65, we were hungry, just a valley of mine. By May 10, a Richmond had fell. It's a time I remember, a 
the problem is when you're doing a podcast on the last waltz, you mm-hmm. forget you're in a podcast. I know. You're watching the clips in the last waltz. 45 months. minutes in, we're like, fuck, we're going to have dead <laughs> this all out. fucking speak something here. Uh, it's yeah. jaw dropping. Like, it's, it's really goosebumps it's, every time, and it's it's as good as you're ever going to hear performance live. And they never overdubbed one part of the song. Yeah, and that's the other thing I was going to say to you, because we obviously are, are sort of, we're, we're doubling up here and talking about the soundtrack. The soundtrack is so... Oh, man. Uh, the, the the production level of the sound and is unbelievable. I yeah. don't I, I didn't look into the technicality of how they captured the audio. Well, I know there was a lot of issues on the night, but that is the, 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 not with audio. There was yeah. a lot of issues with the filming, but the, that audio was being recorded separate anyway. It's so that was happening no matter what. I mean, every single note and beat. I mean, even that the wee drum fills there, mm-hmm. like he's going soft now. But I mean, the, the balancing it is just mm-hmm. unbelievable. Um, so you've got that that sort of level of skill on there. And this is the earlier part where they're like the night they drove old Dixie down. That's them, you know, playing through their mm-hmm. their repertoire. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know who the first guest is. We, I know we, we played Doctor John there. They, Ronnie Hawks. They, was it Ronnie Hawks? Oh, was it was Hawks. They mentioned then as well. So Ronnie, they start with Hawks, which is where they started, and they end with Dylan, which is the last person they played the with before they, they became with, yeah. the band. Um, Muddy Waters they mentioned there as well Muddy Waters Muddy Waters did a fucking this great This is a great one He did a great version of Manny's Boy On that I think is I uh, What do you call the other one he did uh, He did a song before that It's not recorded though It's on the album But uh-huh. it's not on the film But Paul Butterfield steps in on Mystery Train Playing the harmonica uh-huh. He's doing a bit of background vocals And he holds a note During Manish Boy For the entire song On the harmonica And Eric Clapton was at the side of the stage and he wrote his, bi- his biography. He's never seen or heard anything like that in his life because he used this circular breathing thing. Yes. Where he was constantly blowing this one note <laughs> yeah. during the entirety of Manage Boy. Now, Manage Boy nearly wasn't filmed at all. All right. Because backstage, like I said, they had a script. They had a list of who was next, what uh-huh. was to be filmed, what wasn't, to cool down cameras and take time to change over batteries. And Muddy's accidentally was shifted to after another song that right. they thought they were going to film. Mm-hmm. So they turned it all off. Muddy Waters walks on and they're like, um, <laughs> um, what the fuck? We're gonna f- the batteries aren't loaded in yet. The, ca- the, the, ca- the film isn't put into the camera yet. But Lazlo Kovacs, because there was so much going on in the headphones, mm-hmm. and Marty was, <laughs> he just took the headphones off. Oh yeah, that's right. He took the headphones off, and he just kept filming. Or just kept filming. Yeah. So that's why Manish Boy is just from one angle. Yes, that's the one I was on, but only one camera yeah. left. And yeah. then later on, you get another angle, but that's when somebody's just got it loaded up and <laughs> they they figured, they finally turn it on. Yeah. The fuck. <laughs> so we nearly didn't get any oh, of that Muddy Waters performance, which is fucking incredible. It's mighty, absolutely mighty. Yeah, the circuit. I mean, I, I remember hearing that because I had to go and uh, try. And I was like, "What the fuck is that?" Because I thought uh, it was a keyboard or something. So did I. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there. Obviously, you can see a lot about circular breathing now um, on the internet. But I mean, more modern guys that do it. Have you, have you ever watched Trombone Shorty? No. Um, he would have been uh, a big uh, New Orleans uh, trumpet player. Okay. Who kind of infuses hip hop and all that sort of together, and you know, he's, it's it's quite cool. But he does. A, he's a, there's a video online of him playing a song. <laughs> I swear to God that. He plays a note, must be, I don't know, three minutes long or something. But his cheek, where where he's storing the air for it to be circular, like his cheek is absolutely massive, like fucking huge, where you actually think his eyeballs are going to pop out, that he's holding that note for so long on a trumpet. You imagine how long you have to do it on a harmonica, it's just breathing yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. But to get the force and the pressure on the trumpet as well. Um, so it's very impressive. So uh, that explains why the... Uh, uh, the harmonica thing, I always, mm-hmm. I always wondered about that. Way oh, back that's what it was. Thing, but it was a circular reason. Um, there's, 
there's obviously that's uh, the likes of say trombone shorty and all the rest are very heavily influenced by a lot of the acts on here all um, time. especially dr john and, and muddy waters uh we we sort of had it was very weird for us to have um well actually i'm not gonna say it was very weird i don't know if it was weird because this was 1978 when this came out yeah and me and you were just a twinkle mm-hmm. not even a thought about not even thought about and so I would love to know somebody who was around at the time mm-hmm. who seen this Martin Scorsese music documentary going out and going, is that fucking, is that Van Morrison? <laughs> <laughs> is that, <laughs> like your boy from fucking yeah. Cypress Avenue? Yeah. So Van the Man, again, this is kind of obviously the, the circle that they were in. And I'm saying, obviously, Van was a big, big star. I mean, massive in the 70s, but yeah. I just didn't think it was that massive. Well, there's every artist that's here is here for a reason. Yeah, Robbie Robertson broke it down in his book, Testimony, where he, he illuminates why Dr. John's there to, to highlight the Creole end of their influence, and mm-hmm. Johnny Mitchell is there to highlight the female influence on their music. You know, and all these people have a point. The and only Van, one who Van's doesn't there make, for Belfast. Van's there <laughs> for soul. Right, okay, okay. Right. Well, now, there's enough, other yeah. representatives they could have had, but yeah. well, well, I just have to talk about some, one other thing first before we get into Van. Neil Diamond. <laughs> yes. Why is Neil Diamond here, you say? Neil comes in, and I think that question was asked by more than just you. You're, you're fucking correct. <laughs> I think the actual band members The band themselves <laughs> are what very the confused. What the fuck is Neil Diamond doing here? Until when the album was just about to come out with the film, there's a three LP Vinyl that came out the same day as the film was yeah. released of the whole concert. The year before Neil Diamond's album came out, and it had "Dry Your Eyes" on it, right? Produced by Robbie Roberts, ah, co-written "Dry Your Eyes" by Robbie Roberts. Of course. So everybody's going. I, I don't give a fuck about Neil Diamond. You know the whole Tin Pan Alley songwriters mm-hmm. thing, and he, him and Carol King were big songwriters in the sixties, seventies, and. People were like, "Ah, but there's better representatives of that than Neil fucking Diamond. <laughs> Neil Diamond <laughs> walked on the stage and on the recording, you can hear it. He says, uh, I'm only going to do one song for you, but I'm going to do it good. <laughs> of course he is. Right? As so opposed to the rest of them are all going to do it bad. Like, they deliberately cut, even fucking Robbie Robertson, who was helping dead at the film, said, don't leave that bit and just have him start singing. <laughs> Apparently he walks off the stage, because he's right before Bob Dylan. Yeah. Walks up to Bob Dylan and goes, beat that <laughs> <laughs> to which Bob Dylan said so all I have to do is go out there and fall asleep <laughs> oh, he also Bobby D. backstage Neil Diamond was also heard saying I thought they were getting some famous people for this thing meow <laughs> <laughs> so Fucking hell, get him a all this, or a all this is one. going on right and in the middle of the whole thing this wee Belfast lad who turned up to practice uh-huh. by the way in like a long trench coat that was like a, a like a detective would wear in the fifties, <laughs> and uh, he lands in and he's quite notoriously cantankerous and a bit aloof, not really mixing uh-huh. with people. So Robbie Robertson just says to him casually, "Are you going to wear that coat <laughs> to the show?" He's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> "Robbie Robertson was like, when I said it to him, I think he thought I meant the coat looked shit, but I actually meant the coat was cool." So then Van Morrison <laughs> turns up. I just now before we get any further, I, I was wonder I'm wondering, you know, I always wondered about this about this decision. Now you've given me that sort of pretext to it. Yeah. Did 
did he take a shitload of coke and get paranoid and freak out that Robbie Robertson was laughing at his coat? Correct. And thought, <laughs> I know what I'll do. <laughs> I know how to get around that scenario. Let me get myself a purple velour jumpsuit. <laughs> Which does not, not in any way fit, fit his shapely form, his miniature grotesque shapely form in any way whatsoever. But then he also starts piling into the brandy. Yes. That and Van comes out mm. wankered. Van comes out first at Tura 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 Lura Lura, which is great as well. By great, great version. But um, I have to say, this version of uh, the, the song they did, Caravan, mm-hmm. it's my favorite version of Caravan. It's a great, it's great a version. Fucking brilliant audio version of this song because <laughs> 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 the visual Van, we love you. And I know you're listening and you listen every week and all, but listen. But I'm some kind of keys than this. You ever hear his accent where he jumps out of America in Belfast? He's all over the place. Uh, we love you, but that jumpsuit just does not work. No. And then you add in the dad dancing. Well, Robbie Robertson said in his book that because they were all on stage, like you said rightly, they were all on stage, they didn't get to go back and converse with people and go, right. You're up next. You're on yeah. it. They were the stage were the manager stage, and the production yeah, yeah. people were doing all that. So they were just waiting for the people to come on. So they didn't know what state <laughs> they were coming out <laughs> a in, how they looked, and, and what they were wearing, what their mental capacity was at the time. <laughs> so Van comes on, and the only thing they know about him is this wee aloof boy from. But where did Northern where Ireland. did where did that link? That's what I want to find out. Where did that link come from? Is it just I, because no, they, I, they, I they, they they performed did, together? I think or? they did perform together somewhere, okay. and they have. But they they know him, but mm-hmm. they all just know him as quite cantankerous and he can be a wee bit enraged at times mm-hmm. so this uh, loose and free guy comes <laughs> <laughs> very loose very uh, free we'll put it towards the end here you'll have to go and watch the clip of Van the Man I love the dad dancing I love the I love the kicks I love, along with the as uh, you pointed out um, I love that he he's so into being it's Van and you're my band. Yeah. That even when Robbie's doing a wee, we solo. <laughs> Van's right. fucking singing over. You're not going to take my fucking spotlight. <laughs> you're like, no, don't do that, Van. Yeah, that's Robbie Robertson playing a solo for you. Fuck so, up. So this is the tail end and the band, like I've built up, know that this wee man is no crack. Yeah. But Van opens up the crack can. He <laughs> opens it up and, and to the you, point where all you want to do is get him to fucking close it again. And if you watch the footage, the whole band is pissing themselves. Yeah. <laughs> They're loving this because this boy's finally let loose. Yeah, he's steaming and he... <laughs> do, you know, do you know the mad uncle at a wedding? Aye. And Who's it, a fucking annoying tramp he's annoying all week. But can sing like oh. nobody's business. But imagine that uncle... Has this has, has been at the wedding most of the day? <laughs> he didn't get he didn't in. Didn't know where he was. So the he didn't get any dinner. He's, he's 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 empty. He's been supping on Hennessy all day out the back in the smoking <laughs> area. Somebody shouts in, Uncle Van, caravan's on. There's a song on for you. <laughs> How long to get my jumpsuit on? <laughs> <laughs> and away he goes. And uh, but again, the the performance brandy or not, the performance it's is brilliant. fucking note perfect. Radio. 
Big Solo. Shh, shh, fan. Don't talk, fan. Don't talk. <laughs> Just stay quiet. Let me hear what you hear this. Uncle Van singing over Robbie Solo. Mama, Mama, Uncle Van To stop a breath, there's a big kick. Yeah, that's all you have to visualize. Well, a wee kick. <laughs> oh, a very wee kick. Just walks out, man. It's not even really like a jumpsuit. <laughs> like a banner on like, what the fuck? Hey, Ben the Man! <laughs> <laughs> Steamin! Steamers! Walks off, two songs, walks off. Brilliant. Fucking brilliant. Oh, uh, yeah. So that suit, many not call it a jumpsuit, but it fucking looks like a jumpsuit. It's, it's uh, maybe it's just it doesn't fit that way, very well. Now, I don't even know what age Van would have been around that time. He looks in his 40s, but I know he's not. He's Could probably, have been 28. Probably 22. <laughs> uh, so, yes, Van, Man, uh, Van Morrison. Uh, nearly seems the show. Nearly. nearly well, I, I, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest cheers of the night. Oh, but I think it's because they literally went, this guy's actually a good crack. We've yeah. heard nothing but bad stuff about him. Um, so, yeah, just if you he, if he ever meet Van, and he gives you any grief, which he normally would do. Just a wee bottle of Hennessy. Mm-hmm. Things started. <laughs> we, we just wee bottle around. <laughs> Fired in them. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, we get the the sort of. Was this, it wasn't the first time it was done um, because we've, we've had loads of, um, what would you call them, supergroups or big performances before. But when you get towards the end of the film, then you've got, obviously, Mr. Dylan. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there was a lot of uh, controversy around Dylan performing because. There was issues about him wanting to be filmed. Yes. Because he had a film coming out. He had well, a... Rolling Thunder Review documentary yeah. was coming so out. So he, he didn't want sort of any competition as such. Yeah. Um, and then I think this... Overlap. Overlap. All this sort of happened backstage where they were in an interval going, well, listen, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll delay the release of this until after your film, blah, blah, just to allow him... For, for sorry to allow him, uh, them to film him, mm-hmm. he had to go through this fucking rig roll, all these hoops. Um, but again, it's sort of, it probably was the biggest name at the time. Yeah. Um, and even in, in latter years, when you see the, the album cover or the DVD cover, it's Dylan's name is the biggest one along with the band. So there was, you wanted to have him filmed. I think he, did he do four or five songs? Only two were video. I, I think he did four, um, two were filmed, but the other ones are on the, the re-released audio of the full concert, like, uh-huh. so you can get them all on it, like. Um, so yeah, we, we have a... They, they came together to sing a Dylan song at mm-hmm. the end. I want to say they, I mean all of them. There must yeah, have been forever. 25 on the stage. Well, they do Baby Let We Follow You Down, uh, yeah. which was one of the ones that recorded the basement tapes with the band, and then they do uh, Shall Be Released, which mm-hmm. is the song he co-wrote with the band. Oh, right, okay. I don't so know it's the band song. It's, right. on their, oh, okay. it's on their album, their first album, but Music from the Big Pink, but it's sung by Richard Manuel. Now, we need to talk about Richard Manuel first mm-hmm. before we get into anything here, because we've only really talked about Levon and yeah. Robbie. Richard Manuel, Rick Danko, and Garth Hudson, to me, are the band. 
Okay, yeah. They're literally without those three, they're none of those songs yeah. sound the same. Yeah. Richard Manuel, when you listen to their albums, even some of the live albums, even the album After the Flood, that's the live album with Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. you think it's Levon or Bob Dylan singing? It's not, it's Richard Manuel. Right, okay. He, Ronnie Hawkins said when he hired Manuel, he has the greatest voice in the world. Literally, he is the greatest voice in the world because he can sound like Ray Charles when he wants to. Right, okay, yeah. Richard Manuel, to me, is the total star of this show. Now, MVP always goes to Levon because of the effort he put in. Yeah. But Manuel gets the star of the show here because he is also wankered. <laughs> and if you hear his performance of The Shape I'm In, it's fucking nailed on. Like, yeah. He's brilliant. He's absolutely he's brilliant. Class, yeah. Now, when we're going to play a clip of Robert Robertson after this one. And he's talking about the road taking the great ones. Do yeah. you have it? Uh, yeah. The road was our school. Yeah, it was a sense of survival. It taught us all we know. There's not much left that we can really take from the road. You know, we've had our share of, or maybe it's just superstitions. Superstitious in what way? No, you can press your luck. The road has taken a lot of the great ones. Hank Williams, Buddy Holly, Otis Redding, Janice, Jimi Hendrix, Elvis. It's a goddamn impossible way of life. No question about it. So what he's referring to there is the impact playing live shows and being on the road and constantly touring has on a human being. Yeah. The likes of Richard Manuel, Rick Danko and Levon Helm partook a lot in a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Culminating in the cocaine's heroines. Yeah. Booze was a big, big problem for all of them. Mm-hmm. So Richard Manuel... Not, not for Van. Not for Van, no way, man. <laughs> so during this actual concert, the, the clip we're going to play of I Shall Be Released, Richard Manuel in the original version sings it. Mm-hmm. He, he's the vocalist right, okay. of yeah. I Shall Be Released. So he misses his own cue in this. <laughs> Somebody else takes on. He, he ends up being... But what happens as well is you don't get to see him singing it. Yeah. A major bone of contention for Levon as well, because he was like, Manuel was my guy. Right, yeah, and we didn't yeah, film yeah. him on the last song that was going to be on the, the, the film. Uh, but the problem was they couldn't get a camera to him because of all the crack that was going on on the stage. Yeah, Everybody's on the stage. It's packed like the stage is and filled. It's like, they were, it's like Live Aid. They were avoiding him for most of the takes because he was drinking on the stage. And right. he, was, he was missing his own parts and, he was, and there was a lot of sloppiness. So that was a major problem. When he was, he lived in Malibu. Mm-hmm. When his home was empty, they found two thousand bottles of Marnier cognac brandy. Oh, um, he got sober for a few years in the early eighties, but then he got back on the bottle. Right. So when the band got back together, they were playing smaller shows. They were supporting people. There was no Robbie Robertson. Mm-hmm. So in nineteen eighty six, they were playing a show in Florida, and he's chatting to the boys after the show, and everything seems grand. And his wife's there, and they go back to the hotel, and he. Drinks a full bottle of brandy and takes a wee sniff of cocaine. Falls asleep on his wife. Wife wakes up and he's killed himself. Hung himself in his bathroom. Right. Rick Danko and Levon had to cut him down. Oh no! Because there was nobody else there. I never knew that. Oh. So poor Richard Manuel. Uh. Robbie Robinson was trying to avoid that. He knew where them boys were going. Yeah. He, he knew how bad it was up. getting. Yeah. yeah. Robbie Robertson and Garth Hudson were the only ones who didn't really take drugs and didn't get involved in the drink side of it. Right. Okay. Or they had quit. Completely, they went cold turkey and they were like, I'm not doing that because I'm not going to live too long. Yeah. The only three that are dead are the three that right. partook. Right. 
breast. Now, Levon went for cancer, but I'm sure it was exacerbated by his ill health. Was He didn't yeah. look after himself at all. Per Rick Danko died of a heart attack in his bed at 55, and Richard Manuel hung himself. Now, is it because of the road? Is it because of when they went back out as the band, they weren't the same band anymore? They didn't get a big highlight reel like Bob Dylan playing with you and all this? Mm. Or was it just mentally it all had culminated? Taking, in, yeah, taking its toll. So, I mean, let's be honest, Dylan's still alive. Dylan's still alive. Dylan took a lot of shit. So time. did Keith Richards, but as I've heard wiser men say, when you stop, that's when the problems are. But if you stop for a gap of a period of time, and you start to feel your brain saying, I don't want it anymore, uh-huh. that Manuel it never told never him he happened. couldn't anymore. He just he needed it all the time because he thought that was him. But every man to a T who musically loves this band and is into the musical side of it, mm-hmm. Manuel's the fucking star he's of the show. The guy, like, yeah. He's the man playing the drums when Levon isn't. He's the man singing when you think it's somebody else singing. He plays the organ, the piano, yeah, mandolin. He's, he's in so many things. Like, they were him, yeah. all all-rounders, but like him, the three guys, him, Hudson and Danko, were, to me, the fucking real heart of this mm-hmm. thing. And when Robertson says things like, yes, but I am the songwriter, and Levon fights him on it, you say yes, I totally understand that, but you couldn't have wrote these songs without these people. Yeah, that's and you that's, couldn't have. I think that's that's obviously what was causing the sort of not a rift between them, but there was there was definitely that sort of tension. Yeah, um, and and it was ex- exacerbated by obviously the drink and the drugs, and but the also time, and then that, that split of people who take and don't partake. Yeah, and Robbie was trying to save these boys. Yeah. By leaving them, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a sad thing about you it. You know yeah, what they, I mean? And people, commonly, people yeah. criticize him and say he left to be a bigger star on his mm-hmm. own, but. There weren't that many big, massive Robbie Robertson solo hits after this. He did a lot of soundtrack work. He did a lot of... And to the credit of the rest of the band, they didn't have many hits after either. No. He did... He needed them and they needed him. Scorsese kept him in. He was a a sort of musical uh, consultant for... Raging Ball as well. Right right up to Shutter Island. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's always been about Loads of things he's been in. Scorsese produced the Once Were Brothers documentary that came out last year about the band. Oh. And yes. I think he's a talking head in as well. So, yeah, yeah there's interviews he's, with... He's, so they had that, that, they've kept that sort of legacy, if you want to say, that, that's went on, but the band itself then and didn't. But what they left behind was... Incredible. Arguably, arguably the greatest um, rock and roll documentary or music documentary that existed. Well, the, the, the first two albums, um, Northern Lights, Southern Cross, are probably three of the finest American albums released. Mm-hmm. I think they're fucking perfect, absolutely perfect. Even the the the, the covers album, Moondog Matinee, is absolutely brilliant. Like, and I got it in vinyl for Christmas. Ooh, Karen got me it. Well done, Karen. Well done. Karen. That's the other side of this. I I I forgot this for a while. The last Waltz left my life for a while. Same as that. I haven't I hadn't seen it. And in then fifteen years, about 10, 11 years ago, New Year's Eve, I was off one New Year's Eve, not playing a wedding or some shite. And me and Karen watched. She'd never watched it. Right. And she fell fucking head over heels. Yeah. Every time we went into the car, it was playing in the car. <laughs> like the full definitive edition. Oh, yeah. So she, like the 30 the songs. Sta- the, 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 the soundstage version, everything. The, everything the jam. All there. What she about was, the jams? No, we'll talk about the jams in a minute. But the aftermath of this film. So I fell in love with it again because she fell in love with it. Yeah. And seeing her fall in love with it for different reasons and picking up on songs that I'd sort of let slide. Yeah. Like Ophelia. It's a fucking unbelievable tune. Wild tune. And it's a mighty performance of mm-hmm. it. And we're, we're not even covering half the songs that are no, on this No, I mean, thing. there's 30 tracks. We've only played about three from before. The aftermath of this is, we're going to play Bob Dylan. We're going to let you hear it. But the whole band hates the film apart from Robbie. Yeah. Levon says, Robertson's mic was off the entirety of the performance. 
and only was put on in between for him to talk to the crowd and introduce people. <laughs> he hates it so much, he stated, it's the biggest fucking ripoff that has ever happened, the band. Robertson helped edit it, as we've spoke about, and he had all his lines for the patter in between rehearsed. And we even see oh, it at the start no, of the yes, film where he goes, okay. can we do that again? <laughs> the rest of the band seen no money from this at all. But that was the thing that annoyed me. I, I did read that, that none of the rest of them got anything. None even them. in the 2002 yeah, re-release the of the anniversary mm. thing and DVD and Blu-ray and all came out. Nothing. Because it was picked as well by the National Archive we talked yeah, about yeah. before, but Dr. Yeah. Strangelove, it's in there with it's as in being there. A, sort of a... What did they call it? A time capsule thing to sort of show that yes, it's it's important when, when, to the history of American cinema. When we all get wiped out with a nuclear war, this will be brought out to the people who survived after. Aye, and they'll all get to watch Van. Oh, wow, Van! Look at that fucking purple velour. Mm. In Levon's book called "This Wheel's on Fire," <laughs> he wrote, "For two hours at a screening, we watched as the camera focused almost exclusively on Robbie Robertson." Long and loving close-ups of his heavily made-up face and expensive haircut. <laughs> the film was edited so it looked like Robbie was conducting the band with expansive waves of his guitar neck. He wasn't. The muscles on his neck stood out like cords when he sang so powerfully into his switched-off microphone. <laughs> <laughs> shade. Shade is shade. Of uh, shade. So, but let's not let, let that take away anything from this film. No, no, definitely not. It's, it's something to behold. And I mean, uh, um... It does give you a a, a a decent insight into that transitional period, mm -hmm. so the, the end of the Woodstock into the the sort of punk revolution, yeah, and the, punk the, the and heavier, new wave, and, and yeah, um, and then the synthesizers in the eighties. So oh, they, yeah. they were, as you say, maybe it was the perfect time for them to to come out. Um, so yeah, this is uh, "I Shall Be Released" was the uh, the final sort of the final song they played um, mm. on all on stage together. Um, now. Just looking at it, you know, you would think quite a few of them people maybe aren't well. Mm -hmm. There's a few wobblies now. There's a few wobblers. Now, Neil Young looks like he doesn't know he's on stage. Neil's somewhere. He's but there. he's not right there. Like. Joni just doesn't want to speak. For no. old Joni, he's just sort of floating. <laughs> She's just standing, doesn't know what's going on. But this is, uh, this is them all together, and this is them kicking off with uh, Dylan on electric, of course. Mm -hmm. They say everything can be replaced. They say the distance is not near. That's so I remember everything of every man who put me here. I see my So let's take a look Dr. John, Bob Dylan, Van Morrison, Johnny Mitchell. Oh, Diamond didn't come out again today? No. <laughs> he was sent home. No, he's there. He's there. Oh, he's oh, standing in the corner with the, the glasses on. Neil Diamond, Neil Young. Uh, who else we got there? Obviously. So here's, this is Richard Manuel singing. Yes, that's the one that could, didn't get a shot of him, yeah. Ringo Starr on the drums. Ringo's well, playing Ringo's second drum. 
Dan giving Bobby Dolan the fucking the brandy reeks. It's it's the, either sharing one mic for old Bob. It's gonna be steaming after. It's the Diamantes, the shaman Diamantes, shaman Diamantes on the fucking purple velour. shall be released well just like you uh, just like the band you shall be released now too uh, as we come to an end so thank you very much for listening If as always go and uh, take a look for The Last Waltz I don't know where it's on actually uh, I know it's the, very it's very hard to find but I know the, the actual the, I got the Masters of Cinema and Eureka Blu-ray and it's fucking incredible it's got a book with it and everything Ooh, and the retrospective boy oh and it's got an audio commentary with Lou Harris and Ronnie Hawks oh I think you just heard a nerdgasm there. Uh, right, so we, uh, the album, the, the definitive collection or album mm-hmm. is on Spotify and all other yeah. music outlets. Um, so yeah, go and take a look, go and listen um, to the album and listen and watch the album, the, the film. First time ever we we're going to say we have two things for you to go and do. Now. Mm-hmm. Usually it's watch a film, watch TV or watch music, but we want you to do the album and the, the movie and let us know what you think. As always, go and please uh, write us a wee review, leave us a wee uh five stars mm-hmm. the uh yeah the reviews do matter a lot i know you might go oh, i'll do it someday please do it today so it helps us sort of get advertised out there yeah. and uh pushing it out so on that note we will waltz our way out of here how long now how long <laughs> two three four one <laughs> <laughs>